0: I'm Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hop Forward podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a show entirely dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions, and stories from the whole supply chain, from grain to glass. So grab yourself a beer and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Hello, beer buddies, and welcome back to a brand new sesh on the Hot 4 podcast. Summer's been and gone, and yet here you are, listening to a new series of the only dry hopped podcast in town. I hope you've had a nice summer. Uh, We've mostly had building work all summer long, which has literally felt like forever. So apologies for the lack of a show over these last few months, as you can imagine, with having kids at home and the disruption of drills and banging occurring. It's been quite hard to put podcasts together, particularly given that I work remotely and my house doubles up as my office and brewery and just about everything else. I don't really even really need to leave my home, do I? Hang on a minute, we did that a few years ago and that didn't turn out very well. Um, But, you know, it's not as if much has happened over the summer, really, is it? You know, had a bit of sunshine, gone over our life admin, our business admin, you know, small things like energy bills and that. We've queued a little. I mean, what's to miss? Okay, so things are looking a little bleak for consumers and businesses alike at the moment. And they have been for some time. While I didn't want to kickstart a new season of this podcast on a somber note, let's face it, the reality is that there are brewing businesses going to the wall as we speak at the moment. Even between the start of summer and the beginning of autumn this year, there have been announcements almost, it seems, every other week about a brewery packing it in, unable to sustain their business a second longer. Think of all the blood, sweat and tears that have gone into those breweries. If you're a brewer by trade or a business owner listening to this, you'll know the late nights grafting or poring over spreadsheets to make sure the numbers stack up. You'll be well acquainted with scratching your head over a technical issue in the dark hours of the night that just don't make sense, or trying to sensitively handle some of the issues your employees are bringing with them into work each and every day of the week you'll know the money that has been spent and that sinking feeling of how are we going to make payroll this month? It feels like the issues for independent breweries, very few of whom have big, if any, cash reserves, are seemingly stacking up almost daily. Bounce back loans need repaying, one trip kegs are hard to source, and then there's the ethical dilemma of whether you should even be adopting that kind of single-use plastic versus the need to grow your business and your brand just to pay bills and to fulfill the vision you had when you first set off to build a brewery. On top of this, it feels, in the United Kingdom at least, we're forever fighting with one hand tied behind our backs, beer duty reforms, energy bill crises, a war that potentially has the capacity to spill over into mainland Europe at any moment, and that twat on untapped who keeps checking in our sour beers, proclaiming, I don't like thou with me, 0.5 out of 5. It feels like Earth is going to hell in a handcart. The cherry on this dystopian cake, though, is quite possibly the looming deposit return scheme. Born from a desire to be environmentally friendly, this ill-thought-through scheme has the potential to upend breweries big and small by making them jump through hoop after hoop like some mad version of Crufts where all the dogs have been given a bout of steroids before the competition. Over the next few years, the brewing industry faces a turbulent time. Now that you're probably feeling against the ropes, it's not all doom and gloom. Consumer thirst for independent beer has never been higher. Although for whatever reason, some breweries haven't made it and there will be casualties still. From my perspective, at least, I've still seen breweries far and wide attracting new customers, many of whom have never tried a craft beer before and are being converted into craft beer devotees. There's a lot we can achieve together. Bringing people back to the pub, resourcing brewers with the necessary tools to grow their businesses, and even encouraging home brewers to grow in knowledge before they take that adventurous step to build their own breweries. This is where CBA comes in. The Society of Independent Brewers Association is the UK's equivalent to the America's Brewers Association. And one of CBA's key roles is to lobby government on behalf of the independent brewers it represents to bring about and help shape policy to benefit brewers everywhere. Just to have a seat at the table. I hope as you listen to today's in-depth discussion with Barry Watts, Head of Public Affairs for SIBA, that you'll realise just how much your organisation has achieved on our behalf as brewers whether you're under two hectolitres like me or producing 200,000 hectolitres. In this week's show, we return to the forthcoming deposit return scheme and what that will mean for breweries of all shapes and sizes. We look at the potential changes that are coming to Small Breweries Relief, which celebrates its 20th anniversary this month. And we look at the economic challenges that breweries are facing across the United Kingdom at the moment. So grab a cold one, and we'll be right back to chat to Barry Watts from Ciber after this notice. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. Did you know that Hot Forward works with a range of breweries, bars, bottle shops and suppliers from across the world of beer? We offer branding development, marketing support and business consultancy for everyone from brewery startups to craft beer professionals within the beer industry. Find out more about how we can help you hop forward over on our website at hopforward.beer or connect with us on social media at Hot For now, let's crack open this week's discussion. Today on the Hot Forward podcast, I'm joined by Barry Watts, Head of Public Affairs at SEBA. Hello. Hi, good evening. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? Yeah, brilliant, actually. Really good. It's great to be back on
1: here, actually. We we're just reminiscing. I think last time we had a chat was BeerX a couple of years ago, just before lockdown. Uh, what a different world that was. Eh? Know, absolutely, yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> Make sure you wash your hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah those exactly. elbows, so- goodness, yeah. Crazy days, yeah. So it's really good to be back. Good, cool. Well, before we launch into some deeper, meaningful conversations about things like the deposit return scheme and the economy and all the rest of it, I think it's it's beer o'clock. So, uh, cheers! Cheers. So, hey. do you want to start with what I'm drinking and then take it up a notch, or start with what you're drinking and then bring it down? Because <laughs> mine's well, not you that s- excited.
1: <laughs> well, you start first, then go on. Go well, on. mine
0: might be in a, a brewery, Saint Miles of the Desert. Um, glass but it's just a francy kind of ice beer um so i've not had one for years i think i remember going on holiday with my wife to austria in 2009 and we found this little austrian pub with all the like the music on and um and they had it on tap there and it was just the most quaffable thing ever some, um, um, yeah, I mean, maybe the time and place kind of added to that. It's not quite what I remembered, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a reasonable vice beer, isn't it? So let's Very animate nice. it with what you've just cracked open.
1: Well, uh, okay, well, uh, drinking in a beautiful uh, Mondo glass, I am drinking another fantastic London breweries beer, the Colonel. Yeah. Obviously, consistently cracking beer. You're never, never disappointed. Going with the table beer this evening, so 2.9%, a little bit lower on the ABV. But I've, I've chosen this in particular as well because of the kind of things we're going to be talking about tonight about deposit return scheme. But also, I'm, I'm sure we'll probably touch on the alcohol duty review. And I think these are the kind of beers we're going to see much more of in the next uh, years or two with the, some of the change we're going to see. So hopefully we can bring in Colonel uh, into our conversation this
0: evening. Mm. Look at that. I mean, that could segue us into the deposit return scheme, but I'm I'm going to kind of bring it down a notch before we go into that. So, the, I mean, there's as you've alluded to there, there's loads of ground to cover regarding the various things that are going to affect Brewers from a, um, a governmental and policy point of view. Yeah. Um, but just before we go on to that, let's just talk about what's happening with Seba at the moment. There's obviously been some big changes with James Calder moving on. You've got a new yeah. chairman in Royalkin. Um, yeah, so yeah. Ian Fossard's stepped down. Is that right? Yeah,
1: no, he's still on the
0: executive. Oh, so is he? You know, okay, Roy, yeah.
1: Roy's taken over as, as the current chair. And as you said, you know James has, has now left us. I mean, I think James has had such a wonderful, um, really, really positive impact on mm. the organisation, but also the industry. And we shouldn't forget what what he had to you know, push for, go through, like all of it. But he was really leading the way. Um, you know, he's really left a legacy behind. You know, we did some fantastic work at Seaview. We we kept breweries open during the COVID crisis. We got that written into the regulations. We got money. We got two and a half million quid down to the Scottish government for brewery support fund. You know, we we pushed every every avenue we could to get extra support. Um, and you know, some of the stories I hear from small breweries about what we achieved almost brings tears to my eyes. Sometimes, you know, I've got I've got breweries that say, you know, we thought we we're going to have to go under. We thought, you know, we're going to have to pack up. Um, but actually being able to open, keep open, um, thanks to the work we did. You know, the the community really came down and supported the breweries. And I've got guys that say they, they did a £1,000 an hour from their tap room, just from the response from the local community. And so so James is really pivotal for a lot of work we've done over the last couple of years. And I think it's going to be surely missed. But things move on and, uh, you know, we're on the hunt for a new chief executive and I'm sure uh, we'll get someone in the next few months who um, can take us on to the to the next next stage and the new challenges that the industry is going to face?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we should say a, a digital cheers on behalf of every brewer list to this to James. So cheers, absolutely, cheers. Ching, I um I th- I think James did a cracking job. Really, it was a tall order to to step into that and to to help change some of the perceptions that maybe some newer brewers had about SIBA and um, obviously going into it just as we we're going to like lockdown and all the rest of it. Yeah. It's no, no small fee. So uh, you are listening, James. Thank you. So looking to the future then. Why don't you talk us through Barry? Wh- where we're at with the deposit return scheme?
1: No, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I chose Kernel tonight because, um, you know, people are familiar with Kernel. It's had the same label, same bottle, same style for since it, you know, came, they, they were opened, um, more than a decade ago. Um, and what I'm quite concerned is that beers like this and others won't be available in Scotland next year because of the deposit return scheme. And we all want to do our bit to achieve net zero to tackle the environmental issues that our country faces. But the trouble is with this scheme is they've designed something that is fundamentally flawed. It's complex and it's extremely costly. Now, the simplest form, you know, from a consumer perspective, it's nice and easy. You know, the idea of it is uh, to increase uh, recycling. Uh, to reduce litter, and to get those recycling rates up to 90%. So that's what the goal and the objective is. And from a consumer perspective, really easy. You go into a shop and you buy a nice uh, bottle of beer, you pay 20p, you drink your beer at home, and you come back and you get that 20p back. Really simple, and it's an encouragement and incentive to return them and not throw them, throw them away. But for, for small breweries, for small retailers, for bowl shops, for pubs, it's much, much complicated and it's going to be extremely costly. And, uh, and fundamentally, because of the way they designed it, it's going to mean there's going to be less choice in Scotland and what's available is going to be much more expensive. And where we are over, we, we've been talking about this for you know three years. I know people have been talking about it for, for six years or more. And it's a real shame that, you know, we've gone to the Scottish government and they don't want to seem to be able to make the changes to make this work. And the real fundamental issue uh, comes down to the fact that we're going to have separate schemes across the UK. So instead of having one scheme uh, that, you know, you drink something in London, return it in Edinburgh, it's not a problem. We're going to have uh, three or four different types of schemes that can have different types of containers in them. Um, and also different requirements and coming at different times, and those are the real, cl- you know, real problems, that are at the heart of the issues that need to be addressed. But you know, for a small brewery, you know, they're going to have to um, basically sign up to what they call a scheme administrator, who's going to administrate and look after the scheme, and they're going to put these new trucks on the road. They're going to be collecting all those empties from all of those shops and taking that recycled um, bottles and cans and then selling it. Um, for, for revenue on the open market. So they're, they're going to create additional uh, emissions. They're going to create more chaos, uh, you know, kind of uh, congestion on the roads. Um, so I'm not sure about the environmental value of some of that. But equally, from a brewer's perspective, you know, they don't require labeling costs, but the only way it can work is having a barcode on your labels. Uh, and Kernel is one example of those uh, breweries that don't live. About 30% of our members don't have barcodes at all. And they're going to have to pay what they call a producer fee, per container as well It's money uh, to, to the scheme administrator for, for running the scheme um, and then there's also the issues that they really want you to have a scottish only skew a scottish only barcode so even if, if you produce beer they want you if you're based in london to uh, have a separate type of label for what you sell in scotland and of course that's duplication is extra costs um, and you know, we should be living in a kind of one internal market across the whole of UK, so you're breaking up that market, but you can use a UK wide scheme if you want to, but then you have to pay extra for the privilege because there's that additional risk of fraud. But one of the real fundamental problems with the scheme is what they call an online take back service. So you remember that what really got us through the pandemic was those online sales. They became mm. so essential for every single brewery in the UK. Um, And as it currently stands uh, with the Scottish uh, DRS scheme, um, if you sell online, you have to provide a service where those empties will be picked up from your house at your own cost. So a brewery's got to provide that. It's also retrospective. So you can actually request this service at any point. So, you know, you could buy yourself a lovely bottle of single malt whiskey and, you know, Nick, you could spend 10 years... Bring it out Christmas every once mm. a year and have a little sip of it. After 10 years, you can uh, phone up the distillery and ask them to come pick up that empty, empty bottle. I just don't think this can work. You also need you need a waste license as well. Now I've been on calls, conversations with the like, you know, the big guys, Sainsbury's of this world, well, the Tesco's of this world, delivery, Amazon, and they've all been saying the same. We've been talking about this for a long time, no one can make it work. And as effectively, it means you can't sell online next year. And that really is a risk to small breweries. And I've talked to quite a number of small breweries and they're going to effectively stop selling into Scotland, especially online because of this scheme. Uh, and that's real, real travesty for, for consumers. So there are some things that the Scottish government can do uh, and we keep pushing for them to do so. Um, you know, I think that online take-back service has really got to change. But I think in addition that, you know, there should be a phased approach to this, stepped approach. It makes sense for... Those larger companies, the Coca Colas, the Heinekens, and this world, to go first, get it working. There, you know, it's about twenty percent of all the companies that are responsible for eighty percent of the containers. You know, we've got such a small fraction of the containers. We're less than one percent of all the containers sold in Scotland is is from a small independent brewery. Let's make it work. Get those big companies to take the lead, iron out all these difficulties, and then small brewers can come in at a later time. At the time when we're going to get Uh, schemes elsewhere in the UK. But um, unfortunately, it doesn't stop there. So Wales are also thinking about having a slightly different scheme to everyone else, uh, which is obviously extremely problematic. So Wales, um, England decided not to have glass in the scheme, so not bottles. Uh, They will have cans. But Wales is going to have glass and cans. So they're going to be different types of containers. But also they're pushing what they call the digital deposit return scheme. And this would mean having effectively a QR code on each of them. So that would be really useful for the consumer Could scan it, put it into their recycling bin, um, you know, in front of their houses. But for small breweries, I think that's just going to be another additional cost they're not going to be able to achieve. So we we keep going on this issue, Nick. (laughs) But at the moment, as it stands, um, you know, breweries have got to start preparing for it. So if they want to sell into Scotland next year, There's only a small window of opportunity to register with the scheme administrator. They're going to have to do that from December before the end of February. If you don't do it then, you're not going to be able to sell into Scotland when it goes live on the 16th of August next year. Uh,
0: I have so much to say. I mean, firstly, the glaringly obvious, it's like a slow train crash hurtling down the tracks, isn't it? Like, you you can just see it coming. Is it in Austin Powers where there's that steamroller and it's like, (laughs) stop! And it's just kind of like, slugs towards the security guard that's the feeling yes when i'm listening to you talking about this some initial reflections from me is the united kingdom yet again what united kingdom if we've all got different schemes it's lunacy absolute yeah. government lunacy yeah and You know, like I'll take my friend's kind of ice beer as an example. You know, the the natural thing for me to do, as with most people, I would imagine, the vast majority of people, is to get that and put it in their blue bin or brown bin or whatever colored bin that isn't just the regular bin. And off it goes to the council recycling to re enter the the food chain, essentially, Um, you know, as, as a new bottle or whatever and that has worked for decades mm. and even even that's not a perfect system I'm, I'm well aware a lot of our recycling ends up in Turkey or Pakistan or India and wherever in the world and just becomes a big floating island like so as you said earlier you know the, the heart's in the right place but it doesn't make any sense. No.
1: And, and, and you're right. So uh, on that, you know, we've had deposit time schemes that have been introduced around the world. There's 30 or 40 different schemes. But what's different about this one is it's more complex. But equally, it's one of, the, I think it's the first that we've had a DRS introduced in a country that has a very effective, already established curbside connection. Right. And so that is going to really be quite problematic for local authorities that, that Rely on that uh, relationship and the, uh, the value of what they sell at recycling museum report. So it's going to change all of that, and I just don't think people are also prepared for it at all. I think uh, the knowledge of this scheme is very, very low, and I do worry how consumers are going to feel when they've got to um, store, you know, em- leaking empty bottles. Maybe glass that gets broken in their kitchen and put it in their car and take down queue up every week at, at their local Tesco's uh, before they can start doing their shopping. But yeah.
0: Well, I mean, th- this is, leads me on to a question I was going to ask. Like, will this make any difference to how much people recycle? Because I know for me, like, at the moment, I mean, as as a brewer and someone that's into drinking beer, like, you know, at the end of a weekend, I've got a fair few cans and bottles from, yeah. my, you know, fr- Friday and Saturday night sesh. Like, I want to just go dump those in my blue bin. If I've then got to think, well, I bought that one from there, And I bought those two from there and those three came from a supermarket. And then those two came from another supermarket, which is a little bit further away. Like I've got to then, if I'm not wrong. You
1: can can take them back to anywhere, Nick. So you can take them all back to your local Tesco's or you can take them to your local independent um, craft brewery down the road.
0: Okay, and buy some more beer whilst you're there. So, right. you know, so, you so that, that like- makes it slightly less complicated. Yeah. But even then, my local independent bottle shop, I, I arrive with all these cans. Oh, I had a massive party, mate! I've got all my Stella's out. Oh, here you yeah. go, mate! You're just wrap corner from me. Independent bottle shop, have me cans of Stella. Like that just puts it onto to the retailer then
1: it does it does no you're absolutely right so a retailer in this scheme and it's going to be very similar in the in the scheme across the uk they've got a choice they either get what they call a reverse vending machine so it's a big machine where you feed the bottles and cans into it scans them and they'll give you a little uh little
0: token uh, but that takes up space <laughs> Sorry, w- will the uh, do you know in the vending machine when the curly thing comes and you crisp yeah. about to fall and it stops <laughs> will, it be, will it be like that <laughs> oh, no I don't think you to things. walk out
1: with a uh, hundred different tickets and <laughs> yeah. trade it in for a teddy bear. But, uh, you know, this the, the principle is still the same one. Yeah, exactly. Or you're going to have to do a manual thing. That's going to take time. So each product's going to have to be scanned. It's going to have to be put into different bot, um, bins. And then the real risk for, for your small independent bottle shop is they're not used to storing that. It's got a lot of value now. So you've got to think about where that safely can be secured. And that just takes up valuable room. And they're not going to be able to get the latest uh, edition of the uh, of the punchy IPA in the stock, are they? If they've got to store up all these bottles and cans for a collection once a week. So so those are the type of challenges that the small places, small independent retailers are going to
0: face in the next couple of years, do they? Do you think we'll see a lot less small pack on the market in general as a result of this? If I, I think ahead? we will.
1: Uh, certainly in Scotland, we will. Uh, yes, absolutely. I think what I'm hearing is that even you know fairly large breweries, are really going to reduce their their range down to only one, maybe two, um, and that's what they're going to sell in Scotland. But I, what, what, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd fear if I was the Scottish government is that the market has very much changed in the last couple of years. You know, even local pubs, little local shops have got an online shop. They're selling everywhere there's thousands of these little online shops and i don't think they've got the resources to police it and so what would happen is it wouldn't be surprised if we're going to see things leaking into the scottish market and it might be from brewers that don't have any intention to sell those goods and there's a potential that in the future they could be fined for doing so so you know colonel here could decide not to sell at all into the scottish market uh, if they wanted to Uh, but someone might sell it anyway because mm. they've got the local pub or little ball shop has got their own online shop, so those are the kind of dangers as well that's going to come through.
0: Yeah, the other thing I was going to bring up was the whole barcode yes. thing because I know mm. if you get a, a proper GS1 barcode, you know, to subscribe to those things is obviously an additional cost, but they're not cheap. You say about the you know with, with the labelling for one country needs one set of labelling within the United Kingdom, and another needs another. You know, it's just. It's gonna wreak absolute havoc on the brewing industry in the UK.
1: It is, no, absolutely. I don't think um breweries or, or many small um uh, producers are prepared for this at all. Um, but uh, what you have to do is you have to have a GS1 barcode, you have to provide the um uh you know the the actual details of that to be able to register. So you will have to provide that. But no, no, no one's really prepared for this at all. And it's gonna be a real shift.
0: Does this extend then to manufacturers of other goods, including like, I don't know, craft washing up liquid, if that's the thing. (laughs) I'd love to see what craft washing up liquid Twitter is like.
1: (laughs) Uh, So uh, it's it's drinks containers. So it will will be uh, your wines guys, your spirits guys, your cider guys, uh, but also soft drinks. So artisan soft drinks are going to be impacted
0: by it as well. So why does it not then go as far as other forms of packaging that need recycling because I'm just as likely to need to recycle a milk bottle um, a plastic milk bottle that is but you know because I know obviously local um, dairies or creameries is creamery the correct term where they sell milk whatever you know what I mean local farmers basically will collect glass milk bottles and return them but surely there's as much of a problem with single-use plastic recycling, like a milk bottle from a supermarket, a washing-up liquid bottle, you know? Uh, uh, yeah, um,
1: um so they it does include PET plastic bottles in this scheme,
0: but they right. decided not to
1: include the, the HDPE milk bottles that you're kind of describing, so that kind of thinner plastic mm. uh within it, so they've made that decision. But, uh you know, the conversation I've had with, with government over the last few years, you know, they they see there's potential to start and you can expand out the schemes to include other things over time.
0: Wow. So I guess a, a key question that I've got on my mind is yeah. even if there's lobbying of government through parliament from an organization like SIBA or collectively from brewers of individuals right into their MPs, I know there's a lot yeah. of brewers of this who aren't SIBA members, do you think this current government will actually listen?
1: Um well, so on this issue, you know, we've we've done a lot of lobbying over the last few years in Scotland and, and across the UK. Um, I mean, we we actually put down amendments to in the House of Lords to try and change the legislation for this scheme just to provide exemptions for small small breweries. The government didn't pass it, but we're still putting a lot of pressure on. But I think uh, when when we think about the politics at the moment, I think if we look at Scotland, um, the reason that they've been so driven on this is that the Greens are now involved in the scheme. And actually the minister is from the Green Party. So he mm. really cares passionate about this scheme, wants it to be delivered. Um, and so, you know, that that means that they're going to they're pushing ahead so strongly, and I think blinkerly a little bit as well, to these issues, um, which is a real shame. You know, when we've talked about to the minister and, and others that breweries will stop selling, they they say, well, why would anyone want to stop selling in Scotland. That's their attitude. Uh, And that's real. Sometimes it's very difficult with ministers and the government officials. They don't really understand what it means to run a business and those costs and difficulties and the challenges. But with England, I think we've now got a new Prime Minister um, and we're going to have to wait and see um, what she intends to do. But there is that feeling at the moment that she may not be as driven on some of these environmental and uh, and green issues uh, as the previous government was. So we'll have to wait and see. But we we know that DEFRA and the government have been very uh, prepared for quite a number of non- months now on releasing the actual details of the DRS, um, but they haven't done it because you know, the, the, the change in Prime Minister, the change in government, but we'll have to wait and see if anything comes and materializes and comes forward. Right. Um, and then obviously in Wales, they're, they're very keen to push forward their their own separate scheme uh, with those differences as well. So in the next couple, few months, we'll get a clearer picture about where things are. heading.
0: Yeah. While you've been involved in SIBA, how much of a difference has the collective voice of independent brewers actually made on government and policy?
1: Well, we we talked about this from, uh, at the beginning of our conversations and I was praising James. Mm. And actually we've had some real significant fundamental changes that SIBA has achieved on his own. So that Brewer support support fund in Scotland, two rounds, two and a half million pounds. That was, uh, and I've, I've worked in politics and, uh, and beer for a long time and for me that was one of the the most um, successful campaigns I've ever seen it involved us approaching the minister having those conversations and then working with the officials to design a scheme and then ensuring that money went out as quickly and as efficiently as possible for small breweries and I think we should be really proud of that and also getting uh, that exemption in those regulations ensure that brewers can be open so I think we have had some fundamental wins. I think we'll probably talk about small breweries in a, in a bit as well. Um, mm. It's 20th anniversary this year. Uh, you know, that's another example where, you know, we've we've had some success in, in changing the government's view on that, uh, some direct, uh, direct lobbying. But also, we've now got a seat at the table. So uh, James was on it before, and I've now taken his place on the Hospitality Sector Council. So we have a seat uh, with the minister, and some of the top people in the hospitality sector. Uh, And we help to drive through strategy and make changes that are going to be positive for our members. So I think we are uh, driving and Mm. achieving things for small breweries. Um, And I think we should actually be quite proud of what what
0: we've done together. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just interested, actually, just on the the whole relief for Scottish brewers. Um, I remember when that was announced and everyone in uh, England and Wales, Northern Ireland, being on hooks is like, well, are, are we going to get a slice of the pie? And there was nothing. Like, yeah. what What do you think the difference was between the other devolved nations and Scotland in terms of Scottish brewers getting access to those grant funds and the rest of the nations in the UK not?
1: No, you, you're right. And that was that was a real disappointment. We tried very very hard to get to get changes and at every point we tried to open up the the, the schemes that they did introduce as widely as possible so the hospitality leisure uh, funds mm. uh you know the latest uh, car funding the, the local government discretionary grants you know, we pushed every envelope uh, and we got it written in a lot of those that they did apply as much possible to small brewers but you know actually unfortunately it came down to this question of the local authorities um, so it was disappointing that we couldn't get the same direct package. Um, but I think what happened was that the Chancellor came out really strongly at the beginning with a clear package and direction of the things that he wanted to introduce. And he said at the time, you know, we can't can't save every business, but this is a package I'm going to delivering. And it was, you know, it was fundamental. Um, you know, Like 90%, 95% of our members gained from the Burlap scheme. And that really kept them going. But what happened was because he was so uh, clear on those, those areas, those, those packages, that he didn't want to open them up into new, different, smaller ones. And I think that's where we kind of slipped through the net. So that was, you know, that was really difficult. And it's noticeable as well when you're seeing um, those businesses come out, the challenge we've had this year, that the list of those closures we've seen this year, that quite a few of them are those that didn't get anything at all right. during COVID. So it's really noticeable. Uh, how much difference that kind of funding played to to keep them alive during that really, yeah. really troubling, difficult period. Yeah.
0: Well, well, we'll come on to that in a bit, um, the whole economic side of it. But as as you alluded to a minute ago about um, small brewers relief, obviously another hot topic that's caused a lot of contention over the last few years amongst brewers and e- even Stephen members, you know, some of the, the larger members, like Timothy Taylors, for example. Where are we up to with Small Brewers Relief at the moment?
1: Yes, yeah, so where we are, and um, by the time this goes out, things might change uh, because I think we might get some details uh, in the Chancellor's statement on Friday when he makes this big fiscal event mini-budget or whatever you want to call it. Um, but obviously, small we have that announcement a year ago, and that review on SBO has been going on for such a long time now since 2018, and we still don't have that final certainty about what those changes are going to look like. And that's why we um, we helped partner with a, an MP and had a debate only a few weeks ago in Parliament just on this particular issue, just to keep the pressure off on the government because we really want to know what's happening and when it's going to when it's going to come in. But you remember they made those announcement last year, but then they decided to wrap small brewers relief into this wider small producers really, so that means extending small brewers relief to um to other alcohol uh, alcohol products such as cider yes. uh which which i think is great because it really shows uh how valuable sbr has been otherwise they wouldn't be doing it mm. um, and so it just shows you how important that's going to be um but it means that the changes are going to be highly technical um and we don't know the full details but you know, they're, they're talking about putting it on a completely different system. So we're going to, instead of, um, it's going to be put into hectolitres of pure alcohol. So instead of your relief, the amount of relief you get, just depending on on how much you produce, it's now going to be based on on the strength, so how strong it is as well. Uh, and that's going to have some perverse changes. So if you're doing a lot of very low alcoholic beer, you can gain significantly. And it's a really good uh, opportunity for an innovative small breweries to benefit from that, producing a lot of uh, you know, small-stranded table beer, going yeah. back to our kernel. But then others you know, that are doing stronger beers, and I, I keep using the example of one up-and-coming brewery that's opened up in the last couple of years, um, they're doing about 3,000 hectolitres, but their average is about 6.5%. So under these changes, under the changes to hectoliters pure alcohol, they're going to reduce an equivalent of 5,000 hectolitres of beer. So, their GT bill is going to go up by about £8,000 straight away. Mm. So, it's all those kind of changes that are going to come through, It's going to be highly complex. Um, and we're also going to see some other wider changes on the alcohol GT uh, review. So, first of all, there's a change at the higher level. So, SBR and the, and the small producer relief only apply up to 8.5%. Um, at the moment, uh, as we know, uh, above 7.5%, you get a SBR and the general rate of GT, you have to pay yep. the, the higher rate. Uh, but anything above 8.5% will pay the full whack. So that means your Imperial Stouts, your strong double IPAs, no. are going to be much more expensive. So you've talked <laughs> about your love of Imperial Stouts. Uh, you might have to pay a bit more for them. But it does mean that, you know, you're between 7.5%, 8.5% double IPAs, and that's quite a sweet spot for some great beers. They're going to probably be a little bit cheaper. Uh, and then equally down at the lower end, So that lower band is going to increase from 2.9% up to 3.4%. But there's a real concern that what we're going to see is some of the big breweries are going to use um, that benefit to reduce, reformulate their beers, to gain from that lower rate of duty. And there's a real concern they're going to use that to uh, dominate their market and undercut small breweries because there's going to be paying a lot less duty. And that's a real concern at the moment. So we've been trying to argue that up, some changes to that within the system. Um, and then the other kind of big kind of technical area is the draft duty rate. So that means there's going to be a reduction in the duty you pay if you put it into a large pack. Um, and that's about 5% and those are obviously sold into pubs. And, um, you know, we've been campaigning really hard on this issue We, the Make It 20 campaign to make sure that they include the 20 or 30 litre containers that the vast majority of small breweries use. Uh, not just the 40-liter containers and above that are used by the, by the big guys. Um, and we're also trying to put pressure on them to increase that from 5% up to 20% or more. So that's what we're campaigning for. But, uh, yeah, they're fundamental changes. And, yeah, another issue that um, we're just not prepared for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: but we don't know when it's going to be introduced. All of this was supposed to come in February next year, but we still don't know when it's going to come in. And I think it's going to have to be delayed, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. See, it hasn't got the same ring to it, but I would even go as far to argue as 19 liters because there are breweries, myself included, but I'm really tiny. But I, I know actual, you know, five barrel breweries that use Cornelius cakes, which are 19 yeah. liters. So yeah. they're going to not benefit from that because they're quote unquote small pack by one litre.
1: You, you're right. And, and I use them for my own home brew as well. So, uh, you know, I, I understand how. How useful they are, but but well, there's got to be a cutoff somewhere, uh, you know. At the end of the day, and what what the government's really concerned about is that supermarkets have started selling big packs of beer. Now we've seen that with five liter mini kegs, um, but I I think it's pretty unfounded. I, I think it's crazy to think that your granny when they're doing the shopping is going to bundle 20 litres of beer in there and, and drink that on the weekend. I mean, uh, even, even for you, Nick, I think
0: that's quite obvious <laughs> yeah, yeah. to drink chug, the weekend. Chug, chug. <laughs> Get that Sorry. hand down there. Yeah, goodness <laughs> me. It's, um, yeah, it's cra- craziness. And the, the other thing I, I, I caught wind of, which maybe we could shed some light on was about oh. them changing. I don't think it was the, the duty band or, um, the what gets classified as a low alcohol beer.
1: What they're going to do, they make some changes to, to anything below one point two percent. At the moment, what you brew counts towards your uh, total production for SBR purposes, so it feeds into how much relief you'll get the in the previous the next year. Um, but that anything below one percent point two won't count at all. So that means you can brew as much of that as you want, and it won't affect your relief uh, rate at all. And so that's a real incentive to get into the no and no area. And I think um, later on this year we're also going to get um, some changes to the uh, alcohol uh, labelling for no and low no as well. They call it the alcohol descriptors. Um, they're they're going to do a consultation to make some changes there. Because at the moment it's, it's just absolutely ridiculous that you can't call uh, you know your beer no, you know non-alcoholic, um, whereas you know American guys can. Um, so it's a real barrier to, to the market. So I think some of those changes on the labelling is really, really important to the industry I, as
0: well. I think that's what I was alluding to, because I saw some people on Twitter saying that they thought it was outrageous about them changing the labelling because it would encourage people to drink more, or something to that end. And I was reading it thinking, either I've got the wrong end of the stick on this, or... That doesn't make sense because, yeah, okay, you know, you might be able to say a 1.2% beer is low alcohol. But let's face it, next to a 6.9% IPA, it is low alcohol. You know, orange juice or apple juice has fractionally less alcohol in it than a beer of that low magnitude. So, from a health conscious point of view, Surely, labelling something that is 1.2% as like a low alcohol or low strength or whatever the terminology was that people were kicking off about isn't, yeah. from my perspective at least, isn't a bad thing because I could sit here all night and session on five to eight percent beers, but it's not very good for me and my liver. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, well, quite. Um, I think you're referring to a particular article that came out uh, a few weeks ago, and I've been reassured by by the people in the government that we speak to. That actually that was quite misleading. Right. Um, so you know just to confirm at the moment to call your beer alcohol free it must be you know it must be 0.05% ABV or below in the UK. But uh, an American brewery can label their beer as alcohol free but it can actually contain 0.5% ABV. Um, at the moment we use this really old fashioned labeling called dealcoholized which mm. um, doesn't sound very appetising to me a lot of the time, and I don't know anyone that really uses it. Um, and I think what they want is, you know, what the breweries that are producing the kind of products want, just just a fair playing field, really, because it seems really unfair that you know Brooklyn Special Effects can be in the supermarket calling itself alcohol free, but it's not 0.5%, and yet a Big Drop can't do the same. Mm. Uh, and so those are the kind of changes we want. And it also talks about and you just refer to it as low-alcohol, and I think there was some kind of speculation they may increase that low-alcohol uh, labelling up to something like 3%. I'm not quite sure that that's what they're they're going to look to do. Um, but, you know, I think with all these changes, and I'll go back to my kernel that I'm really enjoying now at 2.9%, I think the whole of these these changes in will incentivise uh, breweries to reduce more table beer uh, and low-alcohol, uh, which I think is a great thing.
0: Yeah, well, absolutely. You know, um when you when you're younger and you don't really think about it too much you know you've got the whole rest of your life in front of you you know you, you don't think about what you're putting into your body but it's you know as you get older you start to think you know when the hangovers get worse and you know you you liver and your kidneys don't feel so great i've been had a few beers a night before you think hang on a minute like sooner or later this is going to kind of like really start to like take its toll on me if I, if I carry on at this pace, not, not that I drink excessively because I don't, but um, I I think seeing more of those beers and again, like, you know, going back to the Colonel and their table beers, not, not to blow smoke up their ass or anything, but they, they make exceptional table beers, you know, those low ABV beers, I say low from a, you know, 2.9% low perspective. yeah. Yeah. You know, they're utterly fantastic. Oh, yeah. And to be able to have I don't know two or three of those on a on a week night on a Friday night whatever, and then go to bed and then get up go for a run the next day would be a total win. You have beer, you have the flavour, you don't have any of the or many of the side effects that like you would if you are like, come on, sixteen percent distilled imperial stout. Poop poop.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and I think there is some really amazing. Uh, no and no beers out there now. Uh, mm. That is just such a great area for the industry. Really exciting. And it kind of responds to the trends that we're seeing. So younger people now are moving towards drinking more of those no and no low alcohol uh, drinks. And I think, you know, it's, it's amazing now to to drink some of those. And it's just phenomenal how the change we've seen over the last, only in the last few years as well. So, you know, Big Drop, Rulo, really uh, Small Beer, you know, we're all producing fantastic, really really interesting, innovative beers. Um, and sometimes they're actually even better than some of the things you get at a higher ABV. Absolutely.
0: So let's go on to the hot topics of the day that are throwing spanners into the works of many brewers out there. So we'll, we'll look at um, the, the, the economy, like energy crisis, yeah. the effects of Brexit on raw materials coming from Europe, and the war in Ukraine also having an effect on... Materials such as the bags like in certain one-trick kegs. So, like, yeah. how how's that affecting brewers at the moment?
1: I mean, you know, we came out of COVID, and we always knew that this period was going to be really challenging for small breweries because you know, even if they got grants or not, you know, a lot of them came out with debt. So they're going to have to start repaying. It's about thirty thousand pounds on average that small brewery came out it with. So got to start repay. Um, and we knew that was going to be pretty really tricky. And it just feels like we haven't had a break. We just haven't had a chance to recover at all. And it's just been one hit after another. And if, I feel just from my side and, and brewers you know, uh, are feeling it. There's, there's a new crisis, there's a new shortage, there's a new price increase. There's something new every week that is hitting it. And you know, it's no surprise, sadly. You know, I think we've seen about 40 or 60 small, small breweries um, folding this year already. Mm. Well, i'm sure there's quite a few there that are really on the margins at the moment um you know you've you, you mentioned some of them but yeah last week it was key cakes shortages you know the week before it's um co2 massively increasing in price and a potential shortage with the, the closure of the um the plants um we've got hop harvest down in europe by 20 to 40 percent so that's going to come in and mean it increased prices um you know there's it's just really really hard and difficult at the moment and you're not quite sure where where things are going to go next but uh, you know I think the government get that they need to step in and do something and that's what we see with the with the energy um, ch- um changes promises this week and hopefully we're going to see some further changes at the end of the, the week I mean from C perspective we've just we have been pushing really hard and getting the energy price cap and the announcements that we've seen that this week start to 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 achieve that but I think what's really important is that, and uh, we touched on it the beginning as well, that breweries really want to do their bit to move to net zero, become more sustainable, and I th- but they just don't have the cash to do it. And so what we're really pushing at the moment is to try and get some grants, this energy grants for small breweries and others, so they can make those changes and invest in green technology. Um, or CO2 recapture. We've got some great breweries that are doing some really cutting-edge stuff at the moment. Uh, gas brewery you should get on at some point towards eddie he's got co2 uh, capture one of the first breweries in the uk that have done that it's a small right. brewery uh, everyone else is the big guys um you know we've got purity small beer they've small beer's got his water usage down to i think it's 1.5 pints per pint uh you know they're really really fantastic innovative breweries doing their bit for the, for the environment and reducing their energy consumption So, but they, you know, most breweries just can't afford to do those type of things and they just need that little extra support from the government. So, we've been pushing that really hard. Um, But also, I think we really need that certainty on those alcohol duty changes this week in the budget uh, and that draft duty rate coming in as well. So, I think that'll that'll really help as well. Uh, Hopefully, encourage uh, more people back to the pub instead of drinking at home. Uh, on their own, piling up the cans and bottles, and then in the future, can going to have to return to a deposit return scheme. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. You got in there with a little joke before I said it. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh dear. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a sad state of affairs, really, with, you know, the pubs at the moment, you know, having been out quite a bit this summer actually, to various pubs and brewery tap rooms and so on. You know, even on a Friday or Saturday night, so many of them haven't been that busy at all. You know, and I think about what it was like when I was, what I was going to say was growing up, but that goes back to the 90s, um, <laughs> you know, when the pub was heaving. But even, you know, even before, like pre-COVID, you know, you'd go to like a brewery tap room on a Saturday night, be absolutely heaving you know, just utterly rammed, you know, and, and waiting ages to get to the bar. And now you can kind of just swan up there and hear yourself speak. And, you know, uh, on one level that's great because I'm partially deaf, but on another level I don't want to be able to go and hear myself speak always. You know, you, you want to feel like that, you know, they're, they're turning over a lot of cash and that it's the, there's gonna there's a bright future ahead of them. And as, as we've seen recently, breweries like Nomadic um, going under or Jefferson's mothballing. You know, it's 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 quite tragic seeing all the hard work and all the money, like the emotional investment, the financial investment, um, being ploughed into these places and them not making it. Um, so, so I, I guess the question off the back of that then is because you obviously have a really good industry perspective. What state is the UK brewing industry in right now? As someone that speaks regularly to breweries and like how how do breweries out there find it fragile?
1: It's really fragile. It's, it is on a knife edge, I think. Um, and, but it's the same for, for many small businesses out there as well. Uh, and it's because of all of those pressures, all of those price increases. And you know you just can't pass them on to the consumer because no one's going to come into your local pub and pay 10, 12 quid a pint. And those are the kind of pressures that we're seeing. And so it's a real, you know, really, really difficult at the moment for the whole hospitality sector. And That's why it's so crucial that the government step in and help us uh, this week, just to get through the next few months. But also, you know, we don't. No one wants to keep coming and asking government for more support, more help. We just need to build up that resilience and get into a period of disability where we can trade normal again. I think that's all what we want. But we just want to catch our breath. It's just it's just been so frantic in the last few years. I think everyone's getting tired. Everyone's tired. We all need a break. I eh? think.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think um, with everything that's happened, even of late, like with the Queen, you know, and how it's in effect, I don't know what it's like behind the scenes, but at least from a um, you know a public perspective, as far as the media is concerned, everything has just stopped. All conversations have stopped while we've dealt with that, and I don't mean any disrespect to the late Majesty. Queen Elizabeth II at all, you know, loads of respect for Queen Elizabeth II. Not that I'm a royalist at all, because I'm not. Um, But it's kind of like we're here and it's now, and life goes on for the rest of us, mere mortals. And we need help. I can I can talk about some positive things. Yes, (laughs) yeah. Like like, where where do you see the little glimmers of light on the horizon? What are some positive things you're seeing in the brewing industry at the moment?
1: Well, uh, I just wanted to kind of touch on one thing that SIBA pressing ahead with actually, um, and this, you know, is quite an exciting project for us. Is that we're extending out our membership to include new categories. So one of them is is homebrewers. Hey. So I mean, I, I started as a homebrewer. Uh, I know, uh, you know, you, you started as a homebrewer and you developed so much. And, and I just feel I want to see Seba has a role to, to nurture those those homebrewers and help them develop, and also for those that want to take them on that path to become a professional in the future. And so we're really excited by this. So, you know, we're going to be launching it imminently, um, probably by the time this has gone out it's launched. There will be a home brew competition, of course, and uh, there's going to be exciting stuff of there. Of course, there. goes without saying. <laughs> <laughs> but it's going to be judged at BeerX uh, by professional brewers. So you can come and you can come and judge it uh, if you wanted to help us out. Oh, I'd um, love to do that.
0: Uh, but we're going to get home
1: brewers into BeerX as well, which is really fantastic. So they can be part um of the family um and then we've got some other you know great initiatives as well so we're going to have an ask the brewer kind of sessions where they can get uh, access to, to professional brewers ask their questions help improve what they do uh, magazines there's going to you know you, you know we're going to try and do it for them and hopefully it's going to just take on a life of its own uh, and become you know really useful really helpful for small brewers i mean i wish when i started home brewing something like that existed and that's what we tried to create
0: Well, I mean, you stole the words out of my mouth because when I first started doing it, incidentally, on my um, Facebook feed, it came up saying um, eight years ago today that I was brewing in this kitchen with my friend Josh over in that corner. And um, I had, wait for it, two fermentation buckets in my cellar. Two. (laughs) At the same time, I'd made it, you know. I know. And um, at the time because people were hounding me, where can we buy your beer? Like that that's what led me to think, well, I could get a, like a license, see if I could sell it with HMRC. Yeah. And that's just exactly what I did. But like, there was nothing out there. There was no information on how you, be, as a home brewer, you go pro. So when I left working at the Sheffield Brewery Company and I'd learned all those mistakes from brewing in here, rights to doing it commercially and some of the mistakes I made there and the, the things I learned along the way. That's the reason I started Hot Forward. I was like, I don't want anyone to be in my position as a home brewer looking to go pro and quote unquote live the dream. Although anyone listening to this right now, it's dystopian nightmare rather than it kind of like a, a happy dream um, quite often. But like, you know, I didn't want anyone to not have access to that knowledge. So I think what you've just said from Seaver's point of view, offering that to homebrewers is amazing. I mean, you have to look at someone like Andy from Elusive Brewing, you know, and, exactly. and the way that, um, you know, through like the malt miller and, and all the competition that he was part of before, you know, I mean, look at the impact that him and his brewery have had on the UK beer scene. It's incredible. Yeah, uh, absolutely. The nicest guy in, in
1: brewing. Yeah, absolutely. And he's, he's involved. So he's, um, he's doing a column in the magazine that'll go out to home brewers with a new recipe every, every quarter. So, uh, and I think the first one is, is one of his. So, um, you know, Oregon Trail, like come before. on, Oregon Trail. Happy days. I mean, I, was, I did exactly the same as you, you know, I started so a home brewer, tried to move in and become professional, with some cuckoo brewing. Uh, and there's those things that you just don't know, don't, don't learn about, just don't, you know, don't have the information for, um, from labelling all the way to thinking about how to scale up a recipe, uh, and think about how many hops you want to put in—you know—it's pretty different to scale up. All of those things, and mm-hmm. I think that's the role that I hope Siba can play in this: nurture
0: the next generation of small groups. Amazing, brilliant. Well, as ever, Barry, thanks for being on the podcast again. Um, how, how can people connect with you and, and find out more about Siba? Yeah,
1: uh, absolutely. So, I, obviously, on um, on Twitter um, at um, no, quirky, you've got me now, <laughs> Nick. I can't remember. <laughs> you have to edit this bit. Um, okay, let me find it. Uh, okay, so yeah, no, absolutely, Nick. Um, obviously, people can connect with me on Twitter I'm at, at Watts underscore Brewing, or they can find us on Seba. Uh, please, yeah, keep in contact. if We can help you out. Tell you a bit more about what we're doing. Uh, getting involved in our homebrew um, stuff—that'd be really good. Yeah, there we go.
0: Cheers. Thanks. Kind of little the week, three well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers, and for another week. Cheers.